Hi, I'm Pastor John, and we're happy to have you join us today. Our sermon, Micaiah, is from 2 Chronicles 18 and asks the question, should someone who does the right thing suffer? We'll find the answer in this story about a prophet and two kings, and immediately after, I'll share some ways you can be part of our online family. Meanwhile, let's join the service. I pray that it blesses you. So with that, I'd like you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 18. We're going to cover the whole chapter. Um, I've told the people downstairs we're not going to be down until about 2.30 or so. Um, we'll see how this goes. So, you know, we have this thing in our hearts and in our heads that if we do the right thing, we should be rewarded. It, it, you know, it, it, as soon as we talk about it, people go, oh, no, that's not true. But we think that, don't we? We think that if we do the right thing, that something good should happen to us. We should be recognized for doing the right thing. And maybe even if we don't feel like we should be recognized for it, there's something deep inside us that feels good about doing the right thing. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, how, how does that impact you? Should, should we ever find ourselves in a situation where we suffer for doing the right thing? Should we suffer for doing the right thing? Now, the last few times we've been together uh, looking at this series in the Old Testament, Lessons for Today from the OT, we've heard the stories of people who uh, offended God and, and paid an incredible price for that. And today I want to tell you man, who, who, about a man who does everything right before God. I mean, this guy's got it all working for him. And his name is Micaiah. He's a teacher. He's a prophet in Judah in the time of King Jehoshaphat. Now, here's some background on what's going on with, with the kingdom. The kingdoms are divided. We've got the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom is Israel. Southern kingdom is Judah. Uh, and we have the bad king Asa of Judah dies. And his son, Jehoshaphat, the guy I just mentioned, takes his place, and he's a good king. He fortifies Judah. He does away with most of the high places, you know, that are worshipped to other gods, sends teachers throughout the entire land, teaching the word of God, and removing all of the Baal worship and the high places. And, and one of those teachers is a guy named Micaiah. So Judah's on a roll. The nations around them fear them and respect them all at the same time. Uh, and at the end of Second Chronicles chapter 17, Jehoshaphat has abundant riches. He's got great power, probably the most powerful nation in the world at that point. And he's got honor amongst the other nations as well. So he's not a despot. He's, he's not an evil king. People respect him for who he is. And that includes the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, their story is a little bit different. Their king is named Ahab, and he's a wicked king. As a matter of fact, he's known as being the most evil of all of the northern kingdom's kings, and there were some pretty bad ones in there. So he's led the northern kingdom, Israel, away from God. There's a little bit of a tension between Ahab and Jehoshaphat, but then again, there's tension between Ahab and everybody around him. He just didn't get along with anybody. So Micaiah is not going to help that situation. And Micaiah's story rolls out in three major events. We're going to see a conference in verses 1 through 3 of Second Chronicles 18. We'll see a concern 
in verse 4 of 2 Chronicles 18, we will see a consultation in 5 through 22, and we'll see a condemnation in 23 through 24. Now, for you people that are visiting, you probably think that's pretty spectacular. Our people are used to the, the, the uh, alphabetization of our sermons, so thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so let's take a look at this conference. Verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. Now up until this moment, Jehoshaphat has been doing pretty good. Things are going his way. But what the chronicler wants us to hear here is something like, now although Je Jehoshaphat was rich and well-respected, he made this marriage alliance. I would talk about that for just a second. Because what seems to have happened is Jehoshaphat has reached some level of peace with Ahab and Israel. And to make that peace binding, he marries his son. Now we're going to do a little excursus here for just a second. He marries his son, Jehoram, to Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. Now, those names may sound a little bit familiar to you. We talked to him a couple weeks ago in the story of King Joash. Jehoram is going to be a bad king, assassinated by his own people. His wife, Athalia, uh, will try to steal the throne by ki killing off the entire extended family of Joash, who will be protected. One person in that family will be protected by a priest named Jehoiada. So we know that the alliance between the evil couple's parents, Jehoshaphat and Ahab, is not going to go well. It's not going to work out, despite the way it first looks. And indeed, that's what transpires. In verse 2, we, we see this. After some years, now, Second uh, King, Kings 22 tells us that it's a three-year period between the time they get married and this event happens. He, Jeho Jehoshaphat, went down to Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him, and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, Jehoshaphat answered him, I am as you are, my people is your people, we will be with you in the war. So these kings have a king conference. They, they get together to have this talk, and during that conference, Ahab tries to persuade Jehoshaphat to help him fight the Aramites. And what he wants to do is he wants to claim, reclaim this strategically located city that's on the other side, the eastern side of the Jordan. So keep in mind, this conference is between Jehoshaphat, a godly king, and Ahab, an ungodly king. And Jehoshaphat responds to the request in a godly manner. So he says, okay, we're with you. Now, watch carefully how this unfolds, though, okay? So now we have a concern that pops up, and this is Jehoshaphat's concern. Verse 4, and Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first the word of the Lord. Now, Jehoshaphat's concerned that Ahab has not prayed about this. He's not addressing the fact that Ahab is a Baal worshiper. And that if he did pray, he would be praying to Baal, a false god. 
So this hasn't been submitted to anybody as far as Jehoshaphat can, can see, certainly not to the one true God. And Jehoshaphat's been a good and godly king so far. So naturally, he wants to pray. And what, he, what he's really asking is he wants to hear from a prophet before he agrees to go in battle. What do the prophets say? So he asked Ahab to consult a prophet, but Ahab's not a godly king. So Jehoshaphat may be assuming that Ahab is going to do something godly here, but we haven't seen Ahab do anything godly up until this point in, in his reign. So here's what happened. We see this consultation starting in verse 5. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together for hundred men. Does that, now, does that number sound familiar? 400 prophets? Where have we heard about 400 prophets before? If you know your Bible in, in the Old Testament, it was in the story about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Elijah goes up against 400 prophets of Baal, and actually God burns them to a cinder. You know who the king was during that time? Ahab. Ahab. This is after that happened. King Ahab watched 400 of his prophets get burned to a cinder. And nothing changed. He just went out and got 400 more. I don't know how you signed these guys up for this. <laughs> Did you see what just happened? Yeah. How'd you like to be a prophet? I'm out of here. Thank you very much. Goodbye. But he gets the exact number. Now, I don't know. We don't know really whether there's 400 and 400, but this is what the chronicler wants us to see. Ahab's just doing the things the way he's always done them before. Ahab, an ungodly man, has summoned ungodly prophets, and look what happens. And he says to them, shall we go to battle against Ramoth of Gilead, or shall I refrain? Now, he's trying to be a little humble here. And they said, Go up, for God's going to give it into the hand of the king. And now Jehoshaphat sees what's happening here, and he understands that these prophets are telling Ahab exactly what he wants. You're a great king. You're a great warrior. Don't worry, Ahab. You got this. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there, is, is there not here another prophet of the Lord? whom we may inquire of? Do you have a godly prophet? Jehoshaphat sees that these prophets are not godly men. He wants to hear from a prophet of the one true God. So in verse 7, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now, oddly enough, Micaiah means who is like Yahweh. And Jehoshaphat says, but I hate him. This is a great way to start a conference, isn't it? <laughs> I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. Now, a couple things we need to understand. Micaiah is from Judah. Okay. He has a reputation. He's one of the teachers that, that Jehoshaphat sent out to instruct the, the, the country. So he has a reputation as a teacher and has established a reputation as a, a prophet, and, it, and so now Ahab is like, I hate him. He never says anything good about me. And it, do you see the irony in this? 
He's saying, this prophet of God, of the one true God, never says anything good about me, and I hate him. I don't like that. Jehoshaphat's watching all this happen. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. He said, and what he's saying is, don't even talk like that. Don't you know the type of trouble we can get in for saying stuff like that? You know, this man's a prophet of God. And you hate him? Do you hate God also? I mean, it's all sitting there, and Jehoshaphat's kind of walking through it. So in verse 8, then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imla. And while they wait for Micaiah to arrive, the king sit in their throne, they're dressed in all of their kingly splendor, and they listen to the false prophets speaking falsely to Ahab. And, you know, one of them, one of them goes out and he makes these horns out of metal. And and he stands in front of the king. He's like a little boy. Oh, you're, gonna, you're just going to tear these people up? Oh, you wait in your seat, king. This is going to be so fantastic. This is going to be a great victory. And they're all acting rather silly because Ahab wants them to proclaim victory. Verse 12, And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Watch this, Behold the words of the prophets with one accord. All these guys agree. There's 400 of them are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. He says, make sure you don't contradict these guys. Things are going smoothly. You know, the two kings can't be beat when they work together. If you just go in there and agree with everybody, this is going to be fabulous. Verse 13, but Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. Not what these guys are speaking, but what God tells me. And verse 14, and when he had come to the king, the king said to him, now I'm going to do this in, in the voice that I think Micaiah used. The king said, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead in battle or shall I refrain? And he answered, oh yeah, go up and triumph. They're going to be given into your hand. I've heard everything these guys say. Notice what is not said. And it's just as valuable here. He's mimicking the king's false prophets. What he doesn't say is the Lord says. He's a prophet from God. He's not saying God says you're going to victory. Literally what he's saying, these guys say you're going to a victory. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? The king knows he's being sarcastic. And he, Micaiah said, okay. You want to hear what the Lord says? I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Now this one comes with a, the Lord said. The prophecy is that Israel, after this battle, will have no king. That the king is going to be defeated and his people are going to be scattered. Verse 17, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And, and so Ahab, instead of listening to the word of God, decides to take what the man says as an offense. Look carefully at what's happening here. Ahab has finally heard the truth, but he rejects it. He rejects it. 
His entire reign as king is based on falsehood, false gods, false prophets, and a false faith. And all that explains a lot of what happens next in verse 18. And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord again. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing in his right hand and on his left. Now, Micaiah has a vision. It's not a dream. He's had a vision. God has given him a vision. He's not shy about what God has to tell him. And one of the resources that reasons that he has summoned is that he's proven himself to be a prophet of God. So everybody needs to take this seriously. So if Ahab really wants to hear from God, Micaiah is going to tell him what God says. And the Lord said, verse 19, who will entice Ahab, the king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? Did you hear that? Who's going to talk him into going so that he can fall? And one said one thing and another said another. So what we have is a picture into the throne room, a picture of the heavenly council. And what they're planning is the defeat of Ahab, the fall of Ahab. The king has consistently rejected God and his word, and at some point there will be a penalty for that. There are consequences. Verse 20, now listen to this carefully. Then his spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? What are you going to do that? Now, the first thing you have to see is God's on the throne. Amen? God is in control of the heavenly council. So this, this spirit comes forward and says, I can do that. And God says, oh, so, okay, so how are you going to do it? Verse 21, and he said... The Spirit said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him, God said, you are to entice him and you will succeed. Go out and see. Whoa, what just happened? You know, I've been told God can't be in the presence of evil doesn't say much about his omnipresence, does it? I've been told God can't be in the presence of sin. And here you have a lying spirit right there in the middle of the heavenly council. So e either, either God is omnipresent or there are areas he's not allowed. God-free area. You know, think about this for a second. Because we, we talk about these things, don't we? The, the omnis of God. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's everywhere. He's all-powerful. But sometimes we don't really think that. You know, if God is really omnipresent, isn't his presence in hell? Oh, no. He would never be there. Proverbs says the fires of hell burn with God's wrath. You see... No matter who you are, no matter what you believe, you can't get away from God. He's everywhere. He's a lying spirit up there in the heavenly council. And what he says, I have sovereign authority over this lying spirit. I'm going to use him for the downfall of Ahab. I mean, we've seen this sort of thing before. You remember the Chaldeans? Evil nation, 
was in power, superpower for only 70 years or so. God uses them to carry the northern kingdom away. And then he punishes them for it. God reveals to Micaiah the heavenly plans to destroy Ahab. The amazing thing is that Ahab's standing there and he's seen God's wrath poured out on his false prophets in the encounter with Elijah. Now that he now he hears that his new false prophets are lying and he's going to die and he goes into battle and, and he didn't believe any of it. He doesn't believe any of the truth. So the man who lives a godless life is going to die because he chooses to believe a lie rather than God. This is the king of Israel. And the surprising thing here is that Jehoshaphat hears directly from a prophet of God and chooses to ignore him himself. Look what happens. The condemnation. Verse 23. Then Zedekiah, the son of Tenaiah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? He said, when, when, when did you get the Spirit of the Lord? I've got the Spirit of the Lord. You don't. And Micaiah said, behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber and hide yourself. Do a word search on that and see how that turned out. Verse 25. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with meager rations of bread and water until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Here, all you people, everybody listen to what just happened. Because what Micaiah is saying, he's a prophet of the living God. And the penalty for a false prophet in Judah is what? Death. He's saying, if this isn't true, come and stone me. I know what the penalty is. And I want everybody to hear it. And so what we see is this, this good man, a prophet of God ends up going to prison for telling the truth. In particular, he was asked to tell the truth. And he tells it, and he gets put away. While his earthly king, Jehoshaphat, stands there and watches it all happen. I mean, you would think Jehoshaphat would go, oh, wait a minute, that's my guy. You can't put him in prison. You want my help? We're not going to do that. He just lets it all occur. And it only gets worse because as, as you continue on in the text and read to the end of the chapter, the two kings go into battle. Jehoshaphat survives, but Ahab dies. He doesn't return in peace. You catch that? For all we know, Micaiah, the most godly man in this, in this entire series of events, remains in prison on meager rations of bread and water. Ahab gave orders to keep him in prison and he never came back. Micaiah did everything right and he's condemned. So we had, we had these three major events. We had this conference. Pretty incredible. Jehoshaphat allies himself with an ungodly king. And he does this, watch this. He, he does this alliance for political reasons. That's why they did these things back then. For political reasons, strategic reasons. 
finds out that this ungodly king wants him to go to war with an ungodly nation. Now, up to this point, Jehoshaphat has had peace and respect with all the nations around him. They were really not having any problems. Now he's thinking about fighting with everybody around him. What happened? See, this is what happens. This is what happens when you make politics more important than God. Yeah. This is what happens when you start having a better idea. This is what happens when your priorities start. You know what? All those nations around them are mad at Israel. What do we do, what do, we do if they get mad at us? You know, we, we're powerful. We've got the respect of everybody. But we might need help. And the way you did that back then was you married a son to a daughter and the two families came together and there was an automatic peace between the nations and cooperation. This is what happens when politics become too important. Alliances with Israel, Judah, and other nations never go well. And they're intended to strengthen both nations and bring a permanent peace, but they never do. It never works out. And that's because, listen carefully, God's children are strengthened and have peace with him. And when they turn to the world for those things, they're telling God that you really haven't given us enough. We don't feel like we can sustain ourselves. We don't feel like we can protect ourselves with only you watching over us. So we're going to go ally with these other people. And it never goes well. And they never seem to learn that. I don't know that we've learned it today. It always fails. Every time politics and power become an issue, God's people stumble. Now, we're not sure why Jehoshaphat makes this very subtle turn. And if you read on, you find out it leads to a rough period for Jehoshaphat. He goes through a hard time. It's all going to turn out okay, but Jehoshaphat, because of these decisions he's making, it's not the first time he's going to do this. He's going to, he's going to build ships with, with northern cities, and, and they all sink. A hard time start with this meeting. Now, the good thing about it is Jehoshaphat has this concern. He wants to hear from God before going into battle. It's a good thing. It's one of the wisest things he does as a king, and it shows that in his record up to this point, he doesn't move unless he hears from God. He has the respect and the honor of all the nations around him, particularly Israel, and his relationship with his Father in heaven is what got him to that point. So he wants to consult with God. And so then we see the consultation. A true prophet, Micaiah, enters the play, and he's actually the star of the play. He's the center of focus here, the featured attraction. And he's called to bring truth uh, with, with all the respect he has as a prophet. And he tells the two kings, the battle's not going to go well. Don't do this. And as good as Micaiah's record is, as good as his reputation is, Ahab has an equally poor record of listening to God. And we find out he probably did this just to appease Jehoshaphat. Here's the prophecy Micaiah brings, and he chooses to disregard it. And then we hear the condemnation, but you would think at this point it would be the condemnation of Ahab. No, it's the condemnation of Micaiah. Throws him in prison. As far as we know, he remains there. 
And then on top of that, Jehoshaphat says, okay, let's go to war. You put my prophet in jail. We heard from God. Okay, let's do what you want to do. Jehoshaphat will return to Judah, and he will be chastised by another godly prophet for allying himself with those who hate the Lord, the phrase the prophet uses. Then he just goes and does the same thing again. And ultimately, the fruit of the alliance that Jehoshaphat has, has with Ahab, the marriage of his son to Ahab's daughter, nearly annihilates Jehoshaphat's entire clan. God preserves a remnant, one son. So what do we learn from this? I mean, there, there's some very obvious lessons. You've probably already seen them. But we've learned Jehoshaphat very wisely wants to consult with God before going into battle. It's a little curious that... He doesn't seem to have done that before marrying his son to Ahab's daughter. There's no indication of that. Every time Jehoshaphat makes a decision without praying, things go bad for him. Now, we talked last week about this. We need to pray about everything. Amen? We are to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean we're going to be on our knees next to our bed all day long, every day. It means that we're going to live a life of communion with our Father in heaven. It should come as naturally to us as anything else to say, God, do you want me to do this? God, is this your will? God, help me. I can't make a decision. So Jehoshaphat should have learned that. Doesn't seem to have done it. So we should be unceasingly in prayer, brothers and sisters, not just the times we go into battle. I mean, we've learned that lesson now, haven't we? Because, because Jehoshaphat has started to develop a pattern of not listening to God, he doesn't even listen to him when he speaks. So he says, I don't know about going into battle. I need to hear from God. Oh, that's not what I wanted to hear. Okay, let's go. Do we ever do that? I want to hear from my Father in heaven. I want to follow scripture. Ah, it doesn't look very convenient right now. A little awkward for me got to do some things that are uncomfortable. Okay, I'm just going to do what I think I ought to do. It feels right. It feels right. Here's another thing we should learn from this. When we're asked to speak the truth, it can cost us everything. It can cost us everything. Micaiah knew exactly who Ahab was. He knew that Ahab hated him. Yet he spoke the truth of God's word, and he paid the price for it. Okay, good practical lessons, but we're in this series to learn about the character and nature of God. We're in this series to learn about his plan of redemption for his people. So what do we see here? Go back to our question of the day. Should a person who does the right thing suffer? Notice, I said, should the person who does the right thing suffer. Scripture tells us we will. So brothers and sisters, we should never be surprised when we run into trials. Scripture tells us our life is going to be difficult. That's kind of hard for us to swallow, especially here, Warrington. I mean, we're as middle class as any town in the United States gets, aren't we? We're comfortable. We've got nice cars, we've got nice houses for the most part. We don't feel like suffering. And sometimes, sometimes when suffering enters our lives, it comes in like a freight train and just knocks us off balance. 
And we start thinking, what did I do to deserve this? And maybe just sometimes what we've done to deserve it was the right thing. So Micaiah does the right thing and suffers for it. He's not the only guy in the Bible that does that. Job. You take a look at Job chapter 1 and 2. Job is blameless by the mouth of God in Job chapter 1. And he suffers probably more than any of us will ever suffer. They're just the pattern. They're just the template. Because the one who's truly righteous, the only perfect one, will suffer and die. God prepares us by showing us Micaiah, by showing us Job, by saying, look, here's the reward for being righteous. The world doesn't like it. The world is Ahab. Most of the other world is Jehoshaphat. Going, well, I'm not comfortable with that either. But he sends his son, God sends his son to be perfect and sinless. And you and me kill him for it. And he says before he dies, you want to be one with me? Pick up your cross and follow me. Go where I go. Now that happens just before he carries that cross beam down to Via Dolorosa. <laughs> And the people that heard him say that, going, is that what he wants us to do? Oh, my. Some of them didn't sign up for that. So God has given us this perfect, righteous man who's also God to die in our place so that regardless of what suffering we go through here, we'll have a place with him in eternity. See, that's, that's what gets us through the suffering. The promise of eternal bliss and glory before our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this picture of suffering, but we confess that that's hard for us to do. It's hard for us to be thankful but, Lord, we will speak that thanks with our mouths, even though sometimes our hearts don't feel it. That we might submit ourselves to you to walk in the fullness of our relationship with you, Father. To walk in the fullness of your blessing. To learn the lesson that Micaiah did. I'm betting that Micaiah was thankful for every morsel of bread and every sip of water that he had while he was in prison. Giving you thanks for being able to speak your truth. Lord, let that be our hearts. Let that pour from us as living water, as living truth, that we might be beacons to your Son and the sacrifice he made for us. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, Father, we pray you would bless our fellowship as we join together to break bread. We thank you for the hands that have prepared the food, the hands that have set up the fellowship hall, Father, and the opportunity for us to knit our hearts together in worship to you. And we pray this. In our, our Lord and Savior's name, Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back next week. Thanks for joining in online. Mm -hmm. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? 
If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.